I'm Jake Miller from the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, leader of learning. When it comes to professional development, wouldn't you want to save money and choose PD that meets your needs? Midwest Teachers Institute offers the most affordable, state-accredited graduate courses on the market for salary enhancement, state certification, and continued education with no hidden fees. With classes designed by professionals active in their field, you get practical tips to help you improve what you do best. Sign up for a class and see why they truly are teachers helping teachers. Visit MidwestTeachersInstitute.org and enter the coupon code LEARNING at checkout to save $30 off your first course. That's MidwestTeachersInstitute.org and coupon code LEARNING. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast. This is where educators can come to find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. One of my teaching philosophies, which is if I'm not having fun teaching, the kids aren't having fun learning. And if the kids aren't learning and having fun, then what's the point of being in school? Welcome back once again, Leader of Learning. So glad you could join us here in this episode. And even before we get to the main interview in the episode, I have some announcements. Last episode, you heard me say that I would be making some announcements here in this episode. Well, here they are. First, as you heard at the top of the show, I'm proud to bring the Leader of Learning podcast back to the Education Podcast Network. The network is what helped really launch this show a few years ago. And although I did take the show off the network for a little while, I'm just so happy to be back and making podcasts with some of the most amazing education podcast creators that are out there. The next announcement is a big one. I already mentioned that starting this month in August of 2020, episodes are now going to be released on the 5th, the 15th, and 25th of every month. Well, on the 15th of the month, I'm going to be introducing a new series to the Leader of Learning podcast, and the new series is going to be called Devil's Advocate. And every month, the Devil's Advocate podcast will tackle trending topics in education. I'm also going to be bringing on a co-host, Rochelle Denae Poth, whom you might already know from her books that are out, her speaking engagements and presenting all over the country, the many awards she's won. I keep telling people she's the hardest working woman in education, and I firmly believe that. But Rochelle and I are going to have some fun discussing these trending topics. And the difference in these episodes and with this series is that we're going to tackle these topics using sound research. And we're not just going to talk about our thoughts and our feelings and keep it really personal, but we're really going to introduce research that not only addresses the issues, but tackles them from all angles and including all stakeholders. I'm really excited about the series. I know Rochelle is really excited about the series. And the greatest part of it all may be the fact that you as the listener can actually contribute to the show. There's going to be a Flipgrid topic related to the series and the topics that we discuss in each episode. So you can not only follow along the conversation, 
but join in as well by going to flipgrid.com slash devil's advocate or even leaderoflearning.com slash devil's advocate. Anyway, I'm so excited about that new series. I'm also excited about this episode. Episode 81 features a great educator and someone whom I actually work with in my district. Mark Jackson is a social studies subject area leader at a middle school in Norwalk, Connecticut, and one of my go-to guys when it comes to student engagement and really just having fun in the classroom. I loved so much of what Mark had to say, and he also gives us a glimpse into how we might be able to continue to engage students and to have fun with students from a distance. No matter what your school looks like when you return in the fall, there are ways to do it, and Mark has been experimenting with some of them, and he's gonna tell us about some of them. So without further ado, here is my interview with Mark Jackson. Very glad to bring on in this episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, my colleague, actually, from the same district, Mark Jackson. And, you know, uh, Mark and I have, although we work in the same district, only really met up once in person, and it wasn't at school. It was way back when at an ed camp, if my memory serves correctly. But we've uh, since sort of reconnected, and uh, I'm glad to have you, Mark, and, and, and welcome to the show, and please introduce yourself to the listeners. Uh, hey, listeners. My name is Mark Jackson. I am the subject area leader for social studies at Roten Middle School, and I teach seventh and eighth grade social studies. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you right off the bat, Mark, is, you know, we're, we're basically halfway through the summer at this point, or, or maybe even a little bit more like two thirds of the way through the summer. Uh, and God knows, you know, it keeps changing all the time. We don't really know what school is going to for sure look like when we get back. Uh, at the end of August and, who you know, pe- some people return middle of August, some go back in September. I don't know that anybody really knows, but I do know this about you, that you are someone who clearly takes teaching very seriously and um, at, at the foremost in, in your work as an educator uh, are your relationships with students. And uh, what I know about you also is that you seemed to to, in, in my opinion, you seem to thrive even during distance learning. Um, you might not have thought so or felt so, I don't know. But to me, it seemed like you really adapted to it and you pulled out tips and tricks and you had tricks up your sleeve. I don't know where they were coming from, but talk to us a little bit about that. If you could take us back like a couple of months, you know, into your classroom, your virtual classroom, how, how did you do it? What, what, what were those tips and tricks that you were pulling out to connect or, or continue to connect with your students throughout? Well, when we back in March, the beginning of March, when we were getting the notice that, you know, we were going to be out of school and we had a one day training to get everything together for a minimum of two weeks. And they were like, all right, you have two weeks to get everything together. Uh, So we sat down, we came up with a project. But one of the things I realized was being the subject area leader was the majority of my department never used Google Classroom before. And so one uh, luckily for myself. Uh, I've been using Google Classroom probably for the last four or five years. So I was pretty adept at using it. My students were pretty adept at using it. Uh, So it it just came natural to showing my colleagues how to use that. And that gave us at least some footing to get going on all of this remote learning. Um, It was a learning curve. Right away, I noticed that there was a disconnect uh, for the students because it just takes away that personal relationship with, with the teacher. Uh, it was hard to keep connected with everybody. And for me, 
uh, I kept falling back on one of my teaching philosophies, which is if I'm not having fun teaching, the kids aren't having fun learning. And so I kept looking for different ways to keep the kids engaged because I'm the type of person that's a hands-on learner. I do project-based learning. I do experiential simulations. And so I tried to look at different ways to take my lesson and bring that back. Um, one of the areas where I was weak was interactive technology. And so I just, I spent hours looking through Twitter, finding engaging lessons or engaging technology. Uh, so I found Screencastify where I was able to put my personal flair back into my lessons because a lot of it was I had kids checking in at different times. It wasn't just the one time. And so a lot of the kids were missing the Zoom lessons. So I found by recording a lesson and giving the kids direction step-by-step step through Screencastify, it was able to keep the kids engaged and they were able to work at their own pace. So if they missed something, they could just rewind the video and go back. Uh, a lot of the kids enjoyed it. They said they wished the videos were a little bit shorter. In the beginning, I was recording like 20, 30-minute videos. And then I made them a little bit shorter because I realized that it was a little bit long with 30 minutes. But I started using, um, I utilized Breakout EDU. I was using their virtual platform even before they realized that their virtual platform would become such a big thing. Um, I was using Kahoot's just to review concepts with the kids. Um, obviously, we utilize Zoom uh, in our district. That's one of the things that we utilize. And then Google Classroom. But one of the things I made sure of was I was in frequent contact with the kids. I was talking to parents daily. Um, I would always send a good morning remind because I use remind as a way to communicate with parents and students. So every morning at seven o'clock, I'd say, all right, good morning. Today is an A day. And seventh grade, you have science or eighth grade, you have social studies. And it was just another way just to keep things normal because I would always be there to greet the kids in the morning. So I tried to keep some sense of normalcy and amongst the chaos. Let me uh, back up a second and, and ask a follow-up question to something that you just said a couple of minutes ago. Um, and, and you know, if you're not following Mark on Twitter yet, you will. It, when you do, you will definitely see that uh, not only is he not afraid to have fun, whether it's in the classroom, classroom or you know, distance learning and, and virtually. Uh, but Mark also likes to dress the part. Now, as a social studies teacher, this might be a little bit easier uh, than some other subjects. But uh, I guess what I'm wondering is like, what what is it that got you to have so much fun to want to be that teacher who, who says, you know what, I want to make my classroom that place where kids want to come. And I'm not afraid to be a little silly when I need to be. I'm not afraid to, I mean, some of the, you, you've dressed like what, like pilgrims, pirates, I don't even know what, but uh, I know you've, you've dressed up. So where does that all come from? Uh, a lot of it came from a few, uh, I would say about five, six years ago. Uh, I, I read the book, Teach Like a Pirate by Dave Burgess. And for the longest time, I, I, I always concerned myself with what others thought about me. And, you know, I would internalize the criticism I would get from other colleagues. And, and a lot I, after I read Dave Burgess's book, um, I stopped worrying about that. And I just said, you know what? It's my classroom. If they don't like it, then too bad. And, you know, we're there for the kids. Well, you know, I'm not there for me. I'm not there for everybody else. I'm there to help the kids. And if the kids aren't learning and having fun, then what's the point of being in school? Uh, I mean, anybody could pick up a book and read it. It's just a matter of how you deliver it. And for me, I just like, you know what? It just no holds bar. I just wanted to have fun. 
Uh, my first year as a social studies teacher, uh, it's going back, this will be year 12 for me now. One of the things I did, it just it came to my mind was we were learning about um, medieval times. And so I had a medieval siege in my classroom. Uh, so I had, I built a moat. I used a tarp. Uh, the kids had to use chairs and cardboard to build siege towers to get over the desks into the other kingdom and try to sack the castle. Uh, I bought some of those little rubber uh, bow and arrows and foam swords. And I mean, the kids had a blast and the kids to this day talk about how that was like the best lesson they ever had. Um, so I just try to look at a lesson and I try to say, all right, what's the best way to engage the kids? And as far as the costumes go, I mean, that's just an added bonus because if the kids see that you're excited about it, they're going to be excited about it. You know, it's interesting you say added bonus because it is a bonus. It's going above and beyond. It's definitely extra. But, you know, not not too many people will go to those lengths. And, and I think that's clearly what what makes your classroom special and what makes the learning memorable for those students. I guess all of this to say that there's something about social studies as a content area, but maybe something about social studies teachers too, that they're a little wacky. No, I mean that they're uh, able to, to do some of this more fun stuff in their classrooms. Do you think it is unique though to social studies? I guess there's all of this to say, what are your thoughts about that? Can anybody do it in any content area or is social studies kind of just its own animal? I just think you just you, you can't be afraid to go out on that limb uh, because if you're afraid to try the unknown, you, you can't be if you're afraid to fail, then you're going to fail because you, you can't go in there thinking this is going to be the worst thing ever. Because there were days I thought it was the worst lesson of my life. And then a kid turned around and said, that was awesome. And those are the days that make it worthwhile. Um, even with remote learning, I, I was at my wits end because, you know, I I thrive with the interactions with the students, you know, uh, you know, I'm like the big brother, but you know, I, I'm firm, but fair. That's just my, my mentality being a coach. You know, I coach at my school. I coach floor hockey, girls floor hockey or indoor field hockey. Uh, and then I coach wrestling at the high school. So I see both. I see the kids basically for seven years because a lot of my former students at the middle school go up to the high school. So I, I keep these bonds with these students for years to come. And so not having those social interactions was just as hard on me as it was on the students. And a lot of the times the kids were like, that was awesome. The videos helped because I, even though my costumes were locked up at school uh, with because of COVID, I was still fine. Come on. All right. Don't lie to the audience. You know, you keep them in your closet at home. No, my wife made me take them to school. But <laughs> I have a whole wardrobe at school. I have a closet and bins and the kids know that that's Jackson's wardrobe. Uh, so, you know, I looked around with what I could scavenge around my house and, you know, I couple, we were doing a unit on hurricanes and the impact in the Caribbean region. And I was pulling out my science tricks because I taught science in the past as well. And so I was doing little cool science experiments and videos and I was posting that to make the connections. The kids were like, Wow, that uh, experiment was awesome. I tried it at home. So it was just trying to find my quirkiness um, to get into it. So going back to what your initial question was, I, I think any subject can do it. It's just you got to step out on that limb. That's awesome. And, um, you know, it kind of leads me back to, again, something that you mentioned a little while ago, which is project-based learning. Uh, to clarify for the listeners, again, Mark and I work in the same district. I'm in one middle school. He's in another. 
our school is actually after next school year, not going to be just a middle school anymore. It's going to be a K to eight steam magnet school. And not only are we making a big push toward, you know, implementing steam content more, but in general, really bringing in project-based learning. And uh, I know that that's a big part of what you do. Uh, you mentioned, you know, a couple of minutes ago about making the classroom fun and that basically, you know, you just have to go for it. But when it comes to project-based learning, like what are the things that you're thinking about? Is it is it all about that that front-loaded planning versus, you know, waiting till the end to assess your students? I mean, what goes into kind of setting up that project-based learning in the classroom? Um, I almost take the universal by design approach where I look at the end and then I, I work backwards. Uh, it depends by unit. Um, so for uh, my, uh, which unit? Salem Witch Trials. What I had ended up doing was I created the hysteria early on in the classroom before we even knew what the Salem Witch Trials were. Uh, so I had our assistant principal in on this gag where I was like, do you need, you want to play a prank on the classes? And she's like, yeah, because, you know, we just finished doing a writing exercise. And I said, all right, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to accuse somebody of plagiarism. Uh, so what I had, what is plagiarism and what does it mean as my do now? And then, you know, I texted her. I said, all right, I'm ready. So she came downstairs to my classroom and I told her, I said, look, I'm like, you know, with Google Classroom, it's a blessing and it's a curse. I said, it's a blessing because it's easier for us to grade essays. I don't have to sit there and decipher your hieroglyphics or their handwriting. And I said, but it's a curse because you're the copy and paste generation. And I said, it's far too easy for you to either share a document and think I'm not going to notice the similarities or you just copy and paste it from somewhere. I said, but there was one person that shared the same document multiple times across multiple classes. And I said, this is a serious offense. This is plagiarism. And so I said, you need to figure out who it is. I said, or the whole class will get a punishment. And, Ms. and my uh, assistant principal, she said, Mr. Jackson will give me the name and that person will be suspended for X amount of days. And, or she's like, the whole class will just come in for a Saturday detention. And so she walked out of the room. I'm like, all right, you figure it out. And I have a shade. I have a mini blind on my door. So I pulled the mini blind down and we both stood outside the door and you could just hear the hysteria going back and forth in the classroom. And then we gave him out a minute or two and we walked in and we're like, who did it? And it's funny to see how the kids start blaming each other. They start blaming the kid that would normally be the prankster in the class. And or they're like, we don't know who did it. I said, I said, all right, I know who did it. And they're like, well, who? I said, you just recreated the hysteria in Salem in 1636. Welcome to the witch trials. And they're like, what? And so it, it that's just like setting the scene. Uh, getting So I started at the end. And then I do the front loading where we go into the information and the kids take notes. You know, it's it's interesting uh, when you mention that story. I, I'm, I'm thinking of a time when in the classroom and I and I know, you know, for all you ELA teachers out there, I know what you're going to say that this has nothing to do with the skills or standards that I'm supposed to be teaching. And you're right. But there was one year uh, I was still teaching back in the Bronx and uh, eighth grade ELA classroom and we were reading The Giver, which is one of my favorite books to teach. And uh, long story short, that book has a lot of these um, really unjust and unfair rules. And so we, we simulated that in my classroom and I had the students come up with, I think it was maybe 10, a list of 10 rules that were pretty wacky. They were really out there. One class um, 
decided that you had to enter the classroom backwards and dancing. Otherwise, there was some kind of repercussion. Uh, there was one class, <laughs> there was a student who I'm not sure whether she had a condition or not. So I don't want to make light of it, but um, she would somehow always like doze off and kind of take a nap in the middle of class. So they came up with a rule that if anyone fell asleep during class, I, as the teacher, got to slam a textbook down really loud to wake the, the student up. And then the student who was sleeping had to get up in front of the room and I think sing a song or something like that, which I don't know, it maybe is like verging on corporal punishment, but uh, it, was, <laughs> it was really fun. It did happen one time and one time only. Um, but no, we, we created these really silly rules. And I know that that wasn't teaching them the skills and standards, uh, but I, I'd like to believe that it was hooking them into enjoying and really like immersing themselves in the novel that we were that we were experiencing together again i know ela teachers out there like you shouldn't be teaching the novel you should be teaching the skills and i'm all about that now uh, trust me um but even then just using that book as a mentor text and and stuff like that it was just it was really fun to bring in some of that that uh silliness yeah i guess i'm the type of person you know you mentioned the skills and standards uh you know where me I'm the type of person where I work on the hooks and then I worry about the skills and the standards because if you don't hook them, they're going to care less about the skills and the standards because it's to them. If you sit there and read, all right, today you're going to learn RH4 and you're going to know how to cite text. They're going to be like, what? Uh, so if you show them how this all makes sense, then the standards just come natural. It's yeah. I mean, it, it makes it much more real world relevant. So I, I agree with that. And um, I, I'm OK with that. You know, as an instructional coach, obviously, I'm I'm really looking for the actual instruction, but I would never, ever deny a teacher the ability or the um, the preference to, you know, put one in front of the other in order to make sure that those connections are happening. The the SEL component is there. And of course, like we just said, you know, that that relevance, you can't, you really can't teach a student unless they know for sure why they're learning something and when they're ever going to need it again, right? How often do we hear that? When am I going to use this outside of school? Uh, listen, as we wrap up, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, because again, I know that you uh, you did all that you could and, and seemed to do a pretty good job during distance learning. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about heading back to school in August and September. I know that things keep changing every day and in full transparency to the listeners, we are recording this episode a few weeks before it's actually going to air. So things could change quite a bit, but right now it looks like they're asking everyone to go back full time. What are, what are your thoughts there? At least it, uh, let me clarify again, at least in, in our state and in our district, that's what they're calling for right now. Uh, you know, what? before everything was released by the CDC and the state of Gov uh, state of Connecticut, uh, I was a firm proponent on going back full force uh, to get the kids back in the classroom. Uh, I'm in a unique situation where I'm teaching a hybrid class uh, during summer, uh, summer school this year. And having to wear a mask for three hours a day trying to give instruction in the completely opposite way that you're used to teaching, it's very difficult. Um, the students are spaced six feet apart. They can't face each other. Uh, I have nine desks in a room that typically holds 27. Um, and the kids can't turn and face. You can't really do turn and talks. You can't share materials. And so it's gonna it's gonna take a completely different mind shift for a lot of educators uh, if we have to go back into this situation. And I'm the type of person where I wear, I'm wearing one of those 
neck scarf as a mask uh, because the N95 mask for me, uh, you know, having wearing glasses, well, every time you breathe, it fogs up. So that makes it more difficult because then you can't see what you're doing. You need like windshield wipers for your eyes. Um, whereas I wear that, the this neck scarf mask, that makes it a little more bearable to teach for three hours that way. But every time you talk, when you breathe in, you suck in the scarf and you start gagging on your own mask or it starts falling off your face. So it's 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 going to be very challenging for many educators, um, which is why I know uh, many people are opting to retire early versus going back to that situation. So then you have not only new teachers coming into this situation. So, it, you know, being an instructional coach is going to be interesting for you if you have to train new teachers. And being a subject area leader for myself, uh, trying to teach new teachers the content and giving them unique ways to do it when we don't even know what it's going to look like, which makes it even more challenging. It's almost like the age of exploration all over again. We're venturing into the unknown, hoping that, you know, we get the best case scenario. Yeah. And, and I just really think it's going to be very difficult to figure things out on the fly. Um, it, it sounds like summer academy for you is going okay, but that it would not be, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like it would not necessarily be the ideal situation or, or really probably impossible if it were to be the, the situation for all students to return in August, because there's not enough space. And if you are spacing, you said nine desks where you would normally have 27 can't fit everybody. Right. I mean, just at my school alone, we have, we're going to have 625 kids. So I don't know, you know, if we go to an every other day policy, um, you know, with me right now, I have the hybrid class where I have half my students in right now. So I have a roster of 14 kids for summer Academy. So I have seven on seven and seven. And so I'm running, I have a paraeducator helping me, but I have a paraeducator running the remote session while I'm doing the live session at the same time. But it's, it's an extreme amount of planning to make sure you have everything uploaded for those three hours and what the day is going to look like for the remote kids. And then you still have to come up with the lessons for the kids that are in the class. Mm. And then, you know, yeah. on top of that, you're going to have assessments. You're going to have to monitor data. Then you have to worry about COVID uh, where we were in summer school and one school is already shut down after two days because there was a case already reported. So, I mean, how long is that going to take when we come back in August? If you have double the amount of kids in the building, right, uh, man, I don't, you know, I, I, no one has the answers, uh, and right. we're not sure what it's going to look like, and of course, uh, no one is sure what's going to happen if uh, a case breaks out, you know, whether it's quickly or not uh, during the school year. So I don't know, man, but I, I commend you for the work that you have been doing, the the work that you're doing right now, even you know, going back in that hybrid model in person. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, you're kind of that, that guinea pig, uh, seeing how going back to school in person is or will be for teachers, uh, you know, when the school year starts, but I appreciate you and all you do. I really thank you for coming on to the show and, and giving us some time here. Uh, again, if you're not following Mark on Twitter or Instagram, where can they find you? I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm pretty much on it all. So. And you are Spots Jaws, is that Spots correct? Spots Jaws on Twitter and Instagram. Yep. It's one of those quirks about you, I guess, right? Where did that name come from? Uh, I mean, originally I did that because uh, the term Spots Jaws was actually, um, I had a koi fish and uh, he ate every other fish in my tank and his name was Spots. So I just started nicknaming him Jaws. So I just 
put the two and two together and I've always stuck with that name. Not the weirdest Twitter handle I've ever heard and not the weirdest story about that Twitter handle. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, if you enjoy the content shared on the show, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. I would also appreciate it if you would leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use to listen. For more information about me or this show, head over to leaderoflearning.com. While you're there, you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, how to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even find out how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a Leader of Learning.